0: Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode. So today I'm very honored to be joined by a nerd, an evangelist, a content editor. Yes, uh, with me, Chris Dilley from Injingso. It's a huge pleasure to have him on the show. Today is going to be about planning and how important planning is and how fail to plan is planning to fail. Let's go. I think it's a good place to start because there is a lot of articles being written about workforce management, about planning, especially when we think about strategically what planning truly entails. I think it's always good to have that perspective on what defines good. Definitely. Definitely. Chris, welcome to our show. Welcome to our podcast. Really excited to have you here. How are you doing today?
1: I'm great, thanks, André. How are you?
0: I'm doing well. Like I said to to you, just we were speaking before we started recording. Really energized for today. It's early in the day, but I think it's going to be a really fun conversation.
1: I mean, the sun is shining for both of us, and yeah. a couple of guys who you know, love the subject. So hopefully, we'll we'll have a fun time yeah I mean, and thanks very much for having me i'm really flattered to be invited on i mean i really love what you guys are doing at we wfm you're an independent sort of unbiased you know voice of the planet. you know really useful and trustworthy source so really glad to be here
0: thank you thank you for the kind words and what better way to start than i have two immediate questions one is in the subject of what we will be speaking so today we want to cover how failing to plan is planning to fail so there yeah. is a, a lot a lot a lot to be explored in this sentence but before we go there my first question is the question we have been asking a lot is how do you describe workforce
1: management in your own words yeah well um, the the first book i read about workforce management was uh, call center management on fast forward i'm sure a lot of listeners will have heard of that book it's a great book by brad cleveland and julia maben uh, it's still a great resource. And I don't think you can beat the definition that Brad Leland came up with in the book. You know, despite all the new channels and the cloud and so on, the under- the underlying principles are pretty much the same. So the definition i pinch from Brad is, you know, workforce management is about forecasting, staffing, scheduling, and making adjustments in real time when unexpected changes occur. And the objective is to get the right number of people in the right places at the right time. So you don't want you know, too many or too few people. You know, you, you if you have uh, you know too many people, that's too inefficient. If you've got too few, then you're ruining the customer experience and stressing the the agents, which is not what you want.
0: Yeah, you, you need to create that environment of working together. I think it's super important. So, yeah. like like you said, and I think you 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 cut a very. I'm not one to call it old, but a, a definition that re- relates with a lot of people for over the years. But you yeah. have been with this WFM industry for quite some time now. Yeah. I think you are by far one of the names that pops up every time. If anyone researches on WFM, will be for sure one of the names. Um, how, do you, how would you rate this evolution of workforce management as an industry to where it is today?
1: Yeah, I mean, as you say, I've been around quite a long time. <laughs> And, uh, and and i think in terms of you know the evolution of the industry and its maturity it does the answer to that question does vary dependent on the industry you're talking about you know, you know workforce management's been part of the landscape in contact centers and call centers really since they existed almost but in other sectors and even other departments of companies that have got call centers and contact centers knowledge is really not so widespread. It's not really uh, as evolved. So give an example, one of our customers, the truck tire, they've got the usual expected benefits in their contact center, their front office. But this idea of planning was a completely new idea in the back office, and what they've been able to do is to is to plan the back office people processing things like invoices, and instead of the usual benefits of workforce management like improved service level or so on, they're actually driving down the number of overdue invoices because they're, they're handling the back office work better. She's come, you know, it was a bit, of a bit of a revelation to them, so it does depend on you know what the the, the user group that you're talking about, really.
0: Yeah, and and I think it's a good point. Then- Ties quite well with planning because yeah. there is a lot of, I think the industry forces a lot on planning for demand only, as your main job is figuring out demand and just getting people available. But mm-hmm. the truth is, when you go industry to industry, and this varies a lot depending on the sector you are in, yeah. you might be pl- planning for totally different things. And yes. in the end of the day, the goal of a good planner, and we'll go there in a second, is to actually help the business make the right decision, understand how the business is set up for that moment in time and really yeah. make re- strong recommendations. And it's not only that supply and demand. I mean, it's, there is a lot on supply and demand here, but it's not only that. There is much more than that. And I think your example is, is actually a very good start to, to that point. Let, let's go there. So mm. you wrote very recently a blog article about what does a top performing contact center workforce <laughs> planner looks like. Yes. and we were speaking just before we can go and read your article so but to say I would love to ask that question so in your personal view yeah uh, what really defines a good
1: planner yeah I mean great great question Andre and thanks for plugging my blog post recently if, if any listeners are interested just go to blog.jigxo.com and search for what does a top performing contact center workforce panel look like fairly short and hopefully digestible but yeah the, the in in the article I look at, you know, some sort of must-have and nice-to-have skills. So there are skills that you need uh, to be successful as a planner. But there are also some personality traits that, that really are, are essential to be successful in planning. And one of the things I have to admit is when writing that post, you know, I talked to our consultants at Injectso. I mean, most of those people are, you know, former really experienced planners that have done the job for a living. And so I had some good brains to pick. <laughs> when when writing that that blog post, but I mean the must-have skills, and I think you probably guess guess what these are. I think you've got to be numerate in the job of a planner. Uh, mm-hmm. It's anybody says, okay, I'm terrible at maths. It's probably not a good sign that, that you're going to enjoy being a planner for a start. I mean, it, 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 I've heard it said it's you know a good planner is a, an agent who's good with Excel, and uh, <laughs> that's not necessarily the case. Although I know lots of great planners who were former agents that had a bit of a an Excel wizardry about them. but well, that's, that's a good start. Uh, mm. I, think, I think you need to be generally tech savvy so to you know, understand how the technology in, in the contact center works You're not just the workforce management system. Clearly, you need, if you've got a workforce management system or you're using Excel, you need to be proficient with it, but you need to know how the connected kit works as well. And the other must-have skill, I would say, is being a good collaborator, being a good team worker. Because let's face it, the job of a planner isn't an easy one, because there are lots of stakeholders that you've got to satisfy. So there's, you know, obviously, there's customer service in terms of hitting service level. There's, uh, there's the team leaders, the agents, the business. You've got to keep all those sp- plates spinning at the same time. And you don't do that sitting in glorious isolation. You, you, you need yeah. to collaborate with, with your colleagues.
0: And it's it's funny that you I totally agree with the numbers piece and that mentality of I mean if you are good with Excel you are a good planner that touches on in the in the article you wrote you you mentioned other skills that are not necessarily the numbers but there is one that I really I really like the way you wrote it because in a way you put it it's understanding budget process and and there is a lot on the personality yeah. on being empathic and thinking the big picture. Yes. My point is how important are I remember speaking about another previous guest about soft skills and how important they are as you develop in your career. Um, yeah, that, that becomes more and more important because mm. the numbers say whatever the numbers say, but it's yeah. the story that tells the uh, that actually sells the, the what's happening. How yeah. how do you see that uh, soft skills on the role of a planet? How important they are?
1: Yeah, well, we touched on one of the. It's not exactly a soft skill, but you do need that analytical mindset you know you be have an eye for detail and and have that analytical background and you know in a way you need to be have a a little bit of sales skill in a way you've got to be persuasive you know sometimes you've got to deliver some some bad news to, to operations and it may be you know the classic example of course is you know we simply haven't got enough people so how are we going to overcome that problem you know we need to create a good you know a good case for You know, tackling that problem, whether that's hiring or introducing flexible contracts, whatever it is, you have to have some some persuasive skills about you.
0: Do you think that we were speaking about success before, even in recent episodes? I totally think that a successful career doesn't need to have all steps. Like, I think there is a lot of successful people on Mm. certain parts of this industry that are very technical people. They not necessarily need that uh, developmental soft skills, but others for sure do. Yeah. Um, I wanted to, to pick again on the, on on the planning side, because we were, you gave examples on planning for other s- sectors and industries. Yeah. One of, one of the, the things I struggle a lot when, when I'm speaking with, with people, let's say people that are not inside workforce management, or they, they just want to know exactly hey, what you do. And you try to explain, and then it, Almost every single time you go to planning and you give practical examples.
1: Mm. Um,
0: one of the things I noticed, I don't know if you noticed, and we'll go to plug this back in, in a second, is many times in your day-to-day life, you'll find examples where planning failed. Yeah. Like, do you have examples like that? Like, I have two in mind, but I wanted to ask you as well. Like In your day-to-day life, like completely outside contact centers, completely outside like where you would normally expect to see a good planning, did you already spot a Issues like that, where you totally see, okay, this is a planning issue. They could have sorted if they they stopped or if they looked at the, the numbers or tried to do some research to to improve this experience or service.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I kind of focus on the uh, the contact center workforce most of the time. But I mean, th- that motto, "to fail to plan is to plan to fail," is one that well, I certainly live by, and I know that a lot of planners live by that motto. And uh, a really trite example is. Um, my wife and I we built our own house, not with our own hands. We had a house built, and there are there are lots of it's a, it's a it's a big project, and you need to plan a lot of things months or even years ahead, and if you don't do that, it's going to be just like it is when you see house building on TV. It all goes horribly wrong. You go over budget. It's late. You end up getting divorced. Thankfully, as far as I know, none of those things happen. But you know, if you don't plan in a situation in, in any sort of big project in your personal life, it is going to fail.
0: Let me go there because I'm actually in that process. Uh-huh.
1: Building a house is so stressful. Yeah. You made a
0: lot, loads of plans on, okay, this is going to happen on that timing. Then after that, I'm going to take care of this. And then eventually everything will lay out. There will be any kind of factors that can influence the plan. Yes. And one that I found very obvious in construction is materials. You can have a shortage of certain materials that then if, if you delay certain piece on building walls or electricity, it will derail the others because they already have commitments and they are not stop just building your own house so they are doing other stuff. So I think it's a good example on managing that frustration it's yeah. a huge lesson learned. I think it gives you a yeah. lot of <laughs> lessons for your for your personal life. Absolutely. One thing it, I learned
1: about, sorry to interrupt, is that it, it applies to any sort of project. Is you, yeah. you, there are three opposing forces? Quite often there are three opposing forces, aren't there? But the three opposing forces are: you can have a cheap project, you can have a quick project, or you can have a high quality project, but you can't have all three. So if you, it, it, the mistake we made and a lesson learned is we told the builders that we want quality but we're interested in keeping the price under control but we're not so bothered about time and (laughs) tell that to a builder and they rub their hands with glee and you know they fit your job in around all the others so that was a lesson learned.
0: (laughs) Funny story so just just to go back Chris to your career and you have been I have I have I I cannot run from this so you had different job titles over over these last few years yeah and and I, there is something that i wrote here when i was preparing please correct me if i'm saying something totally wrong but one of the the way i describe it is your job title such as wfm evangelist wfm mm. nerd and mm. i would love to know more about this one how do you describe your role because being a wfm nerd is something that <laughs> is totally different
1: so how do you describe your role today I mean, I'm proud to be a nerd, and, and I'm afraid most of us are at Injigso. and it's—I I love the subject. I mean, I mean, the listeners can't see this, but I've got a few grey hairs. I've been around since uh, been around call centers almost as long as they've existed, and actually, just—I'm not—I'm not going to give you my life story. The, my first job was in operational research, and the company I worked for developed software for simulating manufacturing processes. Now, in the mid '90s, these things called call centers started appearing. And we were approached by quite a number of big companies, like Lloyd's, TSB, and Nationwide Building Society, who were setting up call centres for the first time, and and they got us to build pretty accurate digital twins, as they call it, of these call centres to take the risk out of strategic planning. You know, to make the to basically run the call centre before it exists and answer questions like, you know, how many. Agents we're likely to need in total. How big does the center need to be? Should we have more than one? That kind of thing. And I tripped over something called workforce management. I've, I've, this, so, obviously, simulation modeling is about medium and long range planning. And our customers are saying, Well, have you got something to help me, you know, forecast what the volume is going to be next month and to, to schedule my staff? And I, I've discovered this category of stuff called workforce management. I thought, That's fantastic. You know, simulation is great, but with, the, with, with workforce management, you can actually deliver some much more practical uh, inputs and, and never look back from that. I mean, since then, you know, I've worked with dozens of individual contact centres learning about the goals and challenges. And of course, if workforce management is a fit, uh, making sure they achieve their objectives with it. So that was all sort of one-to-one engagements dealt with probably must be a 100 contact centres over the years. And in marketing... Yeah, it's always good to have people who actually know what they're talking about, to have some product and industry knowledge within the marketing team. So about three years ago, I made the leap from heading up our UK customer-facing team to be the kind of subject matter expert in marketing. And, and that's why I'm proud to be a nerd. And, you know, marketing is about one to many communications. And it's my job to spread the word about some of the wonderful things yeah. that it can do for you.
0: Yeah, the, I mean... I consider myself a nerd uh, in the subject because I really love it. I think we all, both of us would agree, we, that's something that drives us to speak. Yes. So if that defines in that category, I'm, I mean, even though my job title doesn't doesn't, doesn't read nerd, but I, I really like that definition. So by being the nerd, and, and you mentioned a bit about the, how it all started.
1: Yeah. Uh, one
0: of the things that I'm starting to notice, and you mentioned this about when you were talking about the numbers. Yeah. That there is loads of benefits on having that data-driven approach to planning because many times we have a feeling planning approach. I don't know if you, you if you cross paths with people that, oh, I feel like this will be like that and they totally disregard the numbers. I mean, there is loads of people that have, have been in the industry for such a long time that they, yeah. they really have that feeling. But yeah. I think it touches on what you were saying. So data-driven approach is definitely important and defines a good planner. Yeah. But I wanted to touch about now with the technology and developments and now the technologies are pushing us to find new ways of doing things, yeah. how much do you think that these technology enhancements and that data-driven mindset will help to set planning differently? Because I really think it will disrupt how you plan because there is loads of automation efforts. So yeah. what, what, what do you
1: see in the near future for, yeah, for planners? Yeah. I mean, I've come across some, you know, sort of peers in the the software industry who who think basically, you know, workforce management job done. You know, there's not much more we can add. It already does all the forecasting stuff and it does the scheduling stuff and it does the real time management stuff. But actually, I'm going to be a bit controversial. I, I think it's far from done. I mean, I, I remember being in a meeting with a colleague demonstrating a software to a prospective customer, and they said, "Well, there's a forecasting function. Forecasting's forecasting. Do you really want to see it?" And yes, of course, and the, the ways of forecasting, the things you've got to forecast have changed over the years. And, and that, do you want to see it, was in 2002. And, you know, there's, there's so much more nowadays, you know, different channels, different a different shape to the workforce with, you know, remote and hybrid working, that there's definitely room to, to improve the functionality. But I think there's also definitely room to improve the usability. I mean, it's there's a lot of moving parts in a workforce management system. There's no getting away from that. It can't be plug and play. You know, you, if, if, if it was plug and play, it wouldn't do very much. But you know, there's a lot that workforce management vendors can do. I think to make it easier to get up to speed and to a- adapt to the changing world.
0: Yeah do you, do you do you think that this is a tough question to ask? So apologies in advance. But no how how good do you think that contact centers and all the service providers are you know in, into incorporating those changes for mutual benefit of
1: themselves as well as the employee? I mean, it, it does vary tremendously, doesn't it? There were there are the examples of good practice and and bad bad practice, I suppose.
0: Yeah. So let's let's focus on the good to avoid going going on uh, on a bit yeah. less positive yeah. road, yeah. like. Do you, do, you, do you have anything that you could share about some best practices that are creating that culture of continuous improvement, kind of yeah. self-development, especially on the contact center planning?
1: Yeah. And how
0: organizations are ensuring that they're staying up to date with these latest trends?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a few things that I'd like to share there, Andre. The first thing I want to say, though, is I, I don't really want to be overcritical of planners because it's a tough job Mm -hmm. as I said lots of moving parts lots of you know competing stakeholders that you've got to keep happy so I wouldn't wouldn't want to be critical people in the planning function but you know there are a few sort of recurring themes that we see you know things that maybe could could be done better or differently the one thing that sticks out to me is yeah we're all excited. you and I I'm sure Andre, are quite interested in forecasting and and the way to forecast different channels over different time periods and and the the ways that you know we're deploying artificial intelligence things like that to make the forecasting easier and more accurate. Forecasting's great but I'm going to say something controversial and that is that by itself a forecast has no value. It's it's what you do with the forecast that matters. So I'd actually say where the magic happens most of the magic happens with workforce management and, and planning is in the scheduling of people to cover you know the, the different types of work, the different the different channels, and one I haven't got a mistake, but one sort of pattern of behaviour we often see is companies start up using workforce management software, and they reproduce the shift patterns that they've had for ages, and you know they're, they're not using the capability of the system to optimise the supply of staff around that variable demand. I mean, obviously reproducing the shifts you had before is the path of the least resistance. It's maybe not a bad idea in the short term. But if you stay on the old shift patterns, you're leaving most of the benefits of, of the planning process on the table.
0: Let me—that That is actually a very good one. I was just writing that down because it's keeping everything easy. And I think that's a good principle that I, I saw in the past leading to frustration, which is yeah. you have a problem, you find a solution that solves your problem, Mm-hmm. but then you force on the requirements but I want this solution to deliver exactly the same as today because uh, yeah. I don't want to disrupt yeah. how we operate
1: don't scare the horses
0: <laughs> I think I think I saw that more times than I can count so <laughs> very very interesting what what are like? things that you believe that are myths about workforce management that over the years you have been trying to debunk and try to get things straight?
1: Yeah, I think one that sticks out is that, you know, we, we talk about real-time management, intraday management, and it's it's seen quite often as a sort of reactive discipline. You know, we've got a problem, you know, the service level's going right down and there's a massive queue building up and it's sort of panic mode panic stations let's change agent skills on the fly let's cancel training and one-to-ones and actually we did a great webinar about real-time management a year or so ago with todd gladden of plan Men and rebecca Waterson of spec savers if you want to see it just go to injectocom slash events and search for real-time management there's a, you can watch the video and Basically, good real time management isn't panic mode, it isn't being completely reactive, it's about having a what Todd calls a plan to react. So, you know, a, a well run contact center will run sort of war games to create and refine that plan to react. You know, an escalating list of actions that are triggered in a set order, and it's all pre planned. So, you, you, you're not panicking, you're doing something that has been planned. So, again, to fail to plan is to plan to fail even in real-time management.
0: Totally. And I think and I think that's a good example because then the other part we didn't spoke is that planning entails a wide spectrum in time. So yeah. you can be planning for what's happening today or tomorrow. You can mm-hmm. be planning for the end of the month or a specific promotional activity, but you actually can be planning to set up a full year budget. And, and, yes. and those... I think those axes in terms of when you look at the the range in time totally differs as well on the approach as well as the skills you need to, to build both plans because they are I think that's one of the common... Back to the mistakes we, we spoke briefly. I think this is a common mistake that I see is that someone that is really, really good at planning in the short term might not be that good in planning for yeah. the long term because the level of abstraction you need to build exactly. on your plan. If you are super technical person, super analytical, it's going to be hard to process. It's, it's really sometimes you need to confront yourself. Okay, I need to make it simpler, have an assumption that everyone agrees. And even though that number is not perfectly mathematically calculated, it's still important to to, to, to build that more holistic overview. Definitely. Um, so you mentioned how you started your career. Mm. So with all the knowledge collected and acquired over the years, if you had to start today, what would be your priorities to, to develop your, your personal career?
1: Yeah, good question. I mean, the first thing I would say is you know, get to know in detail how the different parts of the workforce management cycle work. You know, forecasting, you mentioned both long and short-range forecasting because they're different disciplines. You need to understand how that works. You need to look at you know, the staffing calculation, which is... Nowadays is not going to be Erlang unless you're talking about calls. You need to approach the staffing thing differently for different channels and so on. Get to know the whole cycle. Um, we did recorded of our webinars. If you go to uh, injux.com slash events, you'll see videos about each stage in the workforce management cycle with some you know industry thought leaders. I learned something from every single one of those, even though I've been around for a few years. And yeah, so get to know how it actually works. The second thing I'd say is don't forget about the people side. Yeah, workforce management is, is central to the job of the planner. But at the end, and at the end of the day, the planner is measured by the outcomes that workforce management delivers. But don't forget, it has an impact on lots of people, you know, starting with the agents, of course. Let's face it, being an agent you know, has its ups and its downs. <laughs> the least we can do in planning is is to do what we can do to reduce stress. You know, using doing things like having reasonable occupancy goals, taking account of you know working time preferences as far as we can, and building shifts that avoid understaffing, which is which is stressful.
0: Do you think today
1: is a good time to start a career in workforce management? I, I would say definitely yes. I mean, the, the, the need to use maths to improve business outcomes is not going to go away. And even if the role of the, the planner develops over time, which it certainly will, you know, those core skills are always going to be needed. So I, I would say 100% yes.
0: Yeah, I, I, do, I think the only caveat to the answer you just said, which I totally agree, is probably the skill set you need today is different from where it used to be, yeah. which I think it's totally amazing mm-hmm. because it shows the resilience on this industry evolving and developing professionals. Yeah. So I think it's a very good sign. Uh, but I, I agree with you it's totally the like I, I think it's probably one of the best times if they if recent past teach us anything and I can I will say, speak about one that it's uh, a topic that was in our minds for, for a few years which is sure. with COVID planning like yeah, the vaccinations everything had loads of efforts on the planning side like WFM professionals that I spoke that were seeing from the outside especially when there were supply constraints or whatever constraints were they, they totally understood like Okay, what's the plan behind it? They even I, I remember people forecasting things and trying to okay, how do we improve this plan? How would we do it differently? That showcases the value yes. of having a strong background on planning, workforce planning. Totally can solve these issues in our recent past.
1: Definitely, and you know we're we're living through this perma crisis. I've heard it described as you know we've had uh, you know the the pandemic, we had you know mega inflation. Got war in Europe, who knows what's next. So having you know the planner mindset and having that motto to fail to plan is to plan to fail is, is always going to be needed. Just one other point I'd make, Andre is that there's a lot of talk about AI doing people out of a job. And you know, all the workforce management tools have got automated forecasting using machine learning principles, things like that. And I've heard people say is that if this thing becomes completely automatic. Is there going to be the need to have a human being involved? And the answer is fundamentally, absolutely yes, because just you know, not understanding the numbers going in and not understanding the numbers coming out is a recipe for disaster. You know, let's say that you've had the workload, you know, the manual workload involved in producing a forecast cut down. You're not going really to just you know watch TV or something with, with the time freed up. You can use it to, to actually. Do more of that planning stuff and and, and actually interact with your colleagues, like, like marketing, for example, to anticipate stuff that the algorithms will never anticipate, you know, like an advertising campaign or something. So, you know, it's not going to do anybody out of a job, I, I don't believe.
0: In the end of the day, there is that, how do I call it, that human decision making that no matter how mathematical the decisions are, sometimes there, there are. Gray areas that you need you need someone to step in and make that call in yeah. the end of the day. So, Chris, you had you had a tremendous career. I mean, you are definitely someone that speaks and and is passionate about this industry. Who inspired you throughout your career?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's I've had the you know good fortune to have worked with some great people over the years. And my first boss, a guy called Brian Hollocks, he was the leader of an operational research team in a nationalised industry. And he took our software and a small band that developed it on a journey into the private sector. And he taught me not to fear the unknown. And he also taught me, you know, maths and computers can actually be exciting. <laughs> and that was an exciting period. The else, that's been an influence is, is Rene Nyman of and I think you've had him on, the podcast before, he was a customer of mine, and you know, Renee's pretty impressive guy, and he taught me that planning really is a profession, and you should be proud to be a nerd, and you know, I absolutely live by that. So uh, thanks to Renee for that. Somebody, I don't know if you ever if you ever come across Graham Gabriel, you know, Graham and I worked together a couple of times over the years. He's mm-hmm. another workforce management nerd. And he taught me the importance. I mean, he is from Liverpool, and he taught me the importance of, the, of having a sense of humour and and again not forget the human side. You know, that workforce passion isn't just about numbers, it's about people. And the final one I mention is Peter Bollenbeck that envisioned, envisions the company behind InJigsberg. Now Peter hired me in 2005, 17 years ago. Can you believe it's 17 years? I mean, back then we were just setting up in the UK and you know, we've really grown over the years. I'm proud of Kind of proud or mm-hmm. achieved. But the culture and success of any company comes from the top. And Peter's a real polymath, much cleverer than me. He's one of those knowing people has graced everything he does. And he taught me, among other things, to dare to be different. I mean, when I joined, we didn't have any customers, nobody heard of us. And you had to dare to be different <laughs> to get on in a situation like that. And he also taught me the importance of making decisions based on, on facts and evidence, not just on gut feeling. I mean, the role of gut feeling, but you need to be a bit more scientific sometimes. So mm-hmm. those are people that have inspired me.
0: You mentioned something that is very important, which is that cultural... Like, like there is a, always someone from the guests that I have been speaking that had very successful careers where, where there is always someone that creates that awareness and ambition in your personal self, on yes. self-development, that yeah. is a very common pattern and Back to the careers, and sorry to hijack a bit your answer. Many times it's important to have someone that mentors you. Mm. So, if for anyone listening that if they are struggling to do the next step, try to find someone that can mentor you, try to get someone that experienced the same issues before. Because yes. being, having someone that can be that hanker for you, I think will do wonders for your personal development.
1: I couldn't agree more. André, I mean, really, it's the thing I didn't mention about those people I've dealt with over the years and that have been influenced me, inspired me, is that they, they were always willing to discuss things and, and and give advice, let me bounce ideas off them. And uh, having somebody like that to help you on, on the journey is absolutely vital.
0: I wanted to to ask if you, if you had to start or to solve a problem for our industry, what would it be under the premises that there's no budget limitations time or resources so you could fix any everything you want so what what would you aim for what would you fix for for the community
1: I think the number one thing i mean i've got a few ideas but you probably don't want to hear all of them but the number one thing is that you know planning as we we both agreed during the, the podcast today uh, has a huge impact on outcomes and uh, it deserves a seat at the top table it shouldn't be an afterthought so, you know, when, when the business is planning for the future, then the planning team needs to be involved in that process as well. So the, the, the old chestnut is that, you know, marketing comes up with a new campaign and the first thing the contact centre knows about it is that the phones are ringing off the hook and the queues, queues escalating because nobody told us. And that's because sometimes, you know, the contact centre and the planning function in particular is thought of as an afterthought. We we really we really should and deserve a seat at that table.
0: Super valid. Chris, any final words to to our listeners
1: uh, before we wrap up I would say it, it's I'm I'm proud to be a, a workforce management nerd. My colleagues here are proud to be workforce management nerds. Be proud to be a nerd <laughs>
0: <laughs> what a way to end thank you so much for joining me today it was a pleasure having you with us today and speak to you soon thank you so much thanks a lot
1: Andre all the best